I'm Samantha Cole, host of the new season of Understood, The Pornhub Empire. Over the course of four episodes, I'll tell you how a horny YouTube knockoff in Canada came to dominate the porn world, only to shatter their cheeky reputation in a massive scandal. The Pornhub Empire is a new season of Understood from the CBC. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless. We know who is responsible for poisoning the American people with fentanyl. And we know that this global fentanyl supply chain, which ends with the deaths of Americans, often starts with chemical companies in China. That's U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland speaking last week announcing the indictments of eight Chinese companies and several executives allegedly involved in the production and distribution of chemicals used to make the synthetic opioid fentanyl. The Justice Department charged eight companies based in China and 12 of their executives for crimes related to the production, distribution, and importation of fentanyl, other synthetic opioids, methamphetamines, and their precursor chemicals. On the same day, the U.S. Treasury announced sanctions on 25 Chinese companies and individuals for the same reason. And then later that week, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken traveled to Mexico for talks with Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador. Together, we are dismantling the criminal organizations that smuggle fentanyl from south to north. And together, we are disrupting the supply chains these cartels rely upon. The U.S. claims that cartels in Mexico are responsible for manufacturing fentanyl using chemicals supplied by China, and then trafficking the drug across the border into the U.S. It's all part of the U.S. government's attempt to deal with the latest and the most lethal phase of the opioid crisis. In Canada, over 38,000 people have died from overdoses since 2016. In the U.S., fatal overdoses have been staggering, nearly 110,000 people just last year. The number one killer of Americans between the ages of 18 and 45 isn't these car crashes, it's not heart disease or murder, but accidental overdoses from fentanyl. It is a disturbing trend we've seen. Fentanyl deaths have skyrocketed in recent years. An average of 20 Canadians are dying each day from opioid poisonings. This drug, fentanyl, is being laced into other drugs and people may not even know that they're taking it. Every pill of fentanyl is a potential killer. Every shipment of fentanyl is a ticking Time bomb. But while the U.S. blames China and Mexico, government officials in those countries say that the source of the problem is the U.S. So today, what's actually happening on the ground in each of these countries when it comes to the fentanyl supply chain? And what impact will these latest U.S. maneuvers actually have? Zachary Siegel is a journalist, a researcher, and co-host of the podcast Narcotica. He's been covering this issue for years. Hey, Zach, thanks so much for coming back on FrontBurner. Happy to be here. Okay, so this is kind of a, a story about finger pointing. And before we get into that and get into each country's alleged role in the fentanyl crisis, can you just first help me understand how most of the fentanyl on the streets in the U.S. and in Canada end up here? Like, is there an example that can help us understand the basics of the supply chain? Yeah, it's hard to pinpoint one example, but this is to be sure, a global 
supply chain. The consensus is right now, a lot of the precursor chemicals used to synthesize and manufacture fentanyl are sourced from chemical companies that originate in China. And so that is currently the main source of, of the fentanyl that uh, will eventually land in North America. Okay. So we, we've got these companies which originate in China, and these are making the building blocks that eventually become fentanyl. And so part of the story is the supply chain of how those get into the eventual end product, the fentanyl here. Let's start with then what the U.S. alleges is the beginning of the supply chain, China. The Department of Justice indicted a few Chinese companies claiming they were advertising, manufacturing, and distributing these precursor chemicals. That was the basis of the sanctions the U.S. recently announced. What evidence do the prosecutors have? Yeah, I think even before getting to the the exact evidence listed in, in the indictments, there's just like this basic idea of of drug enforcement in America that I think we will all benefit from from understanding clearly and specifically supply side drug enforcement. And that is to basically target these big global flows of drugs and chemicals. This will reduce the availability of drugs on the street and drive prices up. And the effect of that will limit consumption and thus reduce the, the consequences of consumption that we all care about, like addiction and, and overdose. And so that's the basic model of supply-side drug enforcement in America. And that gets us to, to China and to Mexico as, as the source countries. So the U.S. is trying to get at the source of the supply, and that's what these indictments are claiming to do. And so what, what a lot of these indictments rely on are this kind of game of, of, of cat and mouse between like the FBI, uh, DEA, like big federal law enforcement agencies uh, working abroad to understand which companies in China are, uh, yeah, like you said, advertising their wares. And a lot of this is happening online in these kinds of digital storefronts and these kind of Amazon-esque platforms that operate on, on Facebook or Telegram or really any messaging network. A lot of this uh, is is looking like sting operations where a buyer is really a law enforcement, but they're acting mm -hmm. as a buyer and they are saying, you know, I will pay you, I will wire you $10,000 in crypto to get, uh, you know, X amount of these precursor chemicals and in the encrypted messaging apps. And there's really no like code or slang being used. It's, it's very upfront that the uh, chemical companies selling these precursors are very aware of what the buyers are using the chemicals for. Well, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, one of the biotech companies was advertising a, quote, Mexico hot sale on some of the fentanyl precursors. It was guaranteeing 100% stealth shipping. And it was even posting on its website documentation of, of shipping chemicals to the region of Mexico where the Sinaloa cartel is as a kind of, I guess, you know, marketing copy yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And 
another like very kind of flagrant uh, example is that they will say like we will disguise this like it's going to mm-hmm. look like uh, like an everyday household cleaning product or or something like that right and if you're uh, a legitimate buyer looking for a legitimate chemical why would you want deceptive packaging why would you right. be trying to evade uh, detection and and secretly pass through customs so it's all fairly blatant and obvious in the exchanges between the the, the buyers and 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 the and the companies and, and yet china's denied this right it says that the u.s is scapegoating but i mean there's been a lot of reporting on what these firms do and their role of getting fentanyl to north america so so what do we know? I just like some more detail about how these chemical firms work. I think what what gets lost in in a lot of these conversations is that this illicit economy and the illicit and illegal drug trade operates, I would say, just below the surface of the legal economy and the legal trade. And what I mean by that is America relies on China for a lot of generic drugs for a lot of chemicals like a lot of those everyday household cleaning supply type of chemicals that are produced in China on the cheap and mass and shipped all over the world and so without that infrastructure in place for global trade then the global trade of illicit drugs would be much much more difficult to pull off what is so messy about this is that a lot of the precursor chemicals we are talking about here are not necessarily banned substances and they're not necessarily on the list of of tightly controlled chemicals so what makes fentanyl such a beast compared to say heroin or cocaine and these drugs that have fueled historical drug epidemics is that so many everyday chemicals can be used as the building blocks can be used as the precursor to right. manufacture fentanyl right so so we're talking about you know fairly innocuous potentially innocuous potentially uh not illicit chemicals that are you know created after all of these things are you know are gathered into something that can be quite deadly so then tell me who's buying these precursors, these chemicals, and how are they trafficked? Yeah, so this, I think, we, we like the this kind of triad between the U.S., China, and Mexico comes into form here. And so there are or, drug trafficking organizations in Mexico that broker these deals with the Chinese chemical companies. And so these, these brokers in, in Mexico, they're making deals with the salespeople in these elaborately structured companies in in China. The only hard limit on fentanyl production is how much of the precursor you can get. And so there's a lot of buyers in Mexico working for these organizations that are trying to get boatloads and tons and tons and tons of of these chemicals. So that, that trade is kind of always happening. And I don't know if you're familiar with Breaking Bad or I am yeah. that that yeah exactly like the whole game in in uh, synthetic drug production in that case uh, methamphetamine is getting the precursor chemical 
once mm-hmm. the the right chemist or the right cook has the right chemicals, there's no limit on how much can be produced. And that's what makes this, once again, such a staggering uh, and terrifying situation we're in because it's the supply is essentially limitless. Yeah, and I, I should mention that you know, in addition to the indictments uh, and sanctions that the U.S. has announced against China, uh, at least one Canadian company has been subject to the U.S. sanctions. The details of that aren't clear yet, um, but as you say, it's it's a worldwide issue and affecting us here in Canada too. Yeah, exactly, and and I think this this uh, these indictments are just kind of the latest development in this decades-long cat-and-mouse game between federal drug enforcement and federal law enforcement authorities with drug traffickers and all these organizations. And it it creates this game of whack-a-mole where they can indict 7, 8, 20 Chinese chemical companies. And because these companies are kind of fake in the first place, there's an easy vacuum and void that gets filled over and over again. And so it's really hard to say what effect, if any, these kinds of sanctions and indictments ultimately have. Back in 2019, China, in a cooperative mood with the U.S., did ban the production of fentanyl Mm -hmm. and did ban fentanyl analogs. And here we are several years later dealing with the same thing over and over again. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. So I'd like to focus for a moment on Mexico. Um, the, the U.S. has accused Mexico of being involved in the supply chain. Now, Mexico's president, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO, has basically said what the Chinese officials have been saying, that the fentanyl crisis is a U.S. problem. He's also said that fentanyl isn't being produced in Mexico. Aquí nosotros no producimos fentanilo. Y nosotros no tenemos consumo de fentanilo. But can you give me a sense of what's actually happening on the ground there? Yeah, the the statements coming out of Mexico are contradictory and often quite baffling to make sense of. Mm-hmm. AMLO has said exactly what you mentioned, that there is no fentanyl actually being made in Mexico. And then other Mexican officials will say, well, actually, Mexico is more of a trans-shipping point where already-made mm-hmm. fentanyl just passes through. And, you know, both, like, the, the latter statement could be true, but I've, I myself have seen documentary and photographic evidence of fentanyl being made in Mexico. So there is, is little doubt that, that clandestine labs in certain territories controlled by these drug trafficking organizations like Sinaloa, they do exist. And these labs do produce mountains of fentanyl that, that gets shipped north to the U.S., so it, it's quite confusing to make sense of the statements coming out of Mexico, 
and knowing a bit more internally of, of Mexico's domestic politics kind of shows what's going on there. Like AMLO in these public statements that get sent around, there's always this kind of muscular nationalism and it kind of paints America as this, uh, as like violating Mexico's sovereignty and this kind of bully on the playground. We are not going to permit any foreign government to intervene in our territory. Especially not a foreign government's armed forces. Of course we don't accept that. And so there's this political posturing that, that seems to be happening uh, with, with AMLO's statements publicly, and then behind closed doors, uh, apparently he's much more conciliatory and much more cooperative. You mentioned the Sinaloa cartel, the the sons of El Chapo, known as the, the Los Chapitos. They're alleged to be involved in in fentanyl manufacturing or the fentanyl trafficking. So, what what exactly are they accused of? Yeah, there's also like just more contradictions and more confusion when when it comes to this crew. Through their lawyer, they put out a statement that fentanyl is not in their business portfolio and that they want nothing to do with it and in fact that they don't manufacture fentanyl and then more recently there were these banners and flyers uh expressing a purported ban of fentanyl manufacturing in some of these mexican territories and it's uh like as far as i can tell i have no idea what those banners mean or if they're really kind of sanctioned or authorized by the the actual organization but and, and i should yeah. just point out too for people who haven't seen them i mean these are like big roadside banners like yeah. big you know several square meter banners saying essentially that the sinaloa cartel isn't involved in fentanyl manufacturing doesn't support it that it's uh so to speak kind of off brand for them <laughs> if that if that's fair to say it, it, well, i i didn't even really know what to make of those to be honest can, can you help me kind of yeah, um, what that was about? I, me too. It, it's very confusing. I, I think on the one hand, it, it could be that the there is so much heat and so much pressure bearing down on them because of the sheer scale of the mortality and that the the there's always been a cocaine and marijuana and heroin trade that's lasted decades shipping between Mexico and the U.S., but never ever has there been such massive amounts of casualties. They could be trying to signal that like maybe they're feeling that pressure. Maybe they're they're actually trying to uh, change their practices. And it, it, I just think there's no way for us to know until there's a change in the actual supply. And so I would not take the word of, of banners, you know, posted on the street and would actually look at the very real material conditions on the ground, which to my knowledge suggests that there is a endless supply of fentanyl available and many, many people are still dying from overdoses. You're saying that these banners are part of them feeling that the cartel, the Sinaloa cartel, feeling pressure. Well, where's that pressure come from? Like, has 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 Mexico uh, been cracking down at all domestically on them for this? Or the 
The state and the relationship with the drug trafficking organizations, and we call them cartels, it's really incestuous. And I think there's a uh, like this idea that these cartels are a monolithic, organized corporate structure. When in reality, I think it's this is a very splintered and very fractured and very siloed environment with maybe a lot of freelancing going on. And and I don't think that the like what we call the Sinaloa cartel is as monolithic and as organized as maybe we like to think. The cartels have a lot of power in Mexico, and it's very unclear how the state is currently dealing with with them. And what kind of agreements and cooperation there are between these organizations and the state. Uh, and, and that AMLO himself has, has said that these kind of violent confrontations and uh, the, the kind of old school drug war tactics do not work. And so I don't, I don't quite know what, what that means. And, and again, the, I just look to the conditions on the ground and if suddenly the supply begins to change and there's less fentanyl or there's pure heroin coming in, then we know that there's actual, actually something happening. But for now, I think there's a lot of, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of politicking, a lot of talking, and it's really unclear what is actually changing on the ground. So you've got Mexico and China painting this all as a mainly U.S. and, and to some extent Canadian problem. And you also have Mexico and the U.S. pointing to China as the source of the supply for these precursor chemicals. And then there's all the pressure on Mexico to do something about the cartels there. And, and I should say there have been efforts in all these countries, uh, Mexico, China, the U.S., Canada, to curb illicit fentanyl production and distribution. But big picture, what's the impact of all this finger pointing? Like I said, I think it's very unclear what effect any of this is having on the actual conditions that that we all care about. And we don't want to see people living lives suffering from addiction. We don't want to see people dying premature deaths due to overdoses. And where I spend a lot of my time reporting and doing research is on the demand side because it does feel like even though it's it, a lot of it is propaganda Mexico and China do have a point i think there is this ravenous demand for substances in america and it is important for us and for our leaders to understand what's driving that why are teenagers and young people buying uh, fake pills on the internet and then suddenly dying because they unknowingly took fentanyl. Like these are all very real social and mm. political problems that, that America, I think, very much has to deal with. And it just seems like the supply side focus uh, takes up a lot of the conversation when, in my mind, it seems like we as Americans can have much more control and much more effect if we get a grip on some of those questions I was just asking. And mm. that means we, we can build better healthcare, higher quality addiction treatment. And I just think that is the big, big problem that America has struggled with. 
All right, Zach, we'll leave it there for today. Uh, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks for having me. That's all for now. This week, Front Burner was produced by Rafferty Baker, Joyita Shangupta, Matt Muse, Lauren Donnelly, and Derek Vanderwijk. Our sound design was by Mackenzie Cameron and Sam McNulty. Our music is by Joseph Shabison. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. Our executive producer is Nick McCabe-Locos. And I'm Damon Fairless. Thanks for listening. Front Burner will be back on Monday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.